Well, I'm Pastor Jeremy Bannister, and we're so glad that you guys are with us as as we get to continue our study through the Word of God. If you've never been with us before, here's what we're doing. We go through the Word of God every five years together, and it's actually our second go-around doing it. And how we do that is we read together as a congregation six days a week. As a matter of fact, over at the information desk, you can get a schedule like this one that has all of our readings for the year on there, so you'll know exactly what we're reading together as a congregation. You can read along in your Bibles. We also have notebooks that have the same theme on it, which is really cool looking, right? So if you're a note taker, how many note takers in here? Got some of you guys who are. Um, this is for you guys, and we would love for you to do that. You can uh, go to the information desk for a donation for one or either one of these, um, or if you don't have the money for that, in, for that, we'd love to just give it to you because we'd love for you to follow along with us as we're going through the Word of God together. We also have a YouTube channel where we go through these readings every single day, those six days during the week. Uh, we do that along uh, with having a small devotional that goes with the very readings that we're doing. And you can find us at youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church and subscribe and click the bell for notifications so that you can receive those devotionals and keep up with us. Because what happens is on Sundays when we come together, our sermons are in whole or in part from our readings that we've done during the week. And it helps to bring enlighten us and help us to understand what the scriptures are saying, especially now since we're in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is oftentimes misunderstood, but we've been going through Leviticus and I think that dry reading that we kind of have during the week. I, I, my prayer is that through the devotions and the times that we've had on Sunday morning, it's coming a little bit more alive for you where you guys are seeing Jesus a little bit more. How about that? You guys seeing Jesus in that? Three of you? <laughs> Hopefully more than that. But the truth of the matter is, this week, if you didn't see Jesus, you just had your blinders on. I mean, it was all throughout the scriptures that we were reading this week. And this week's sermon is titled, An Ancient Epistle. Uh, the five chapters that we read from Leviticus chapter 16 to Leviticus chapter 20 uh, really mirrored what we would read in an epistle. Now, an epistle just means letter. But when we think of epistle, when it comes to the Bible, these are letters in the Bible and oftentimes associated in the New, in the New Testament. Uh, from the book of Romans all the way through the book of Jude. These are epistles. These are letters written to churches or to individuals, right? And, and they highlight what it means to walk with Jesus. Now, you might think that that's kind of crazy that we're looking at the Old Testament. And of course, the Old Testament is forecasting the coming of Christ. But you know what? You're going to see a lot of the epistles' language within the context of these five chapters. We're going to walk through that together and see if you guys can catch on. So today, what's so cool is as, as we jumped into Leviticus chapter 16, which is the beginning of the text that is there. It's really the basis for the entire section that we're going into. There's a switch that is happening between chapter 15 and chapter 16. We have moved away from talking about the various sacrifices that are going on and the various ways to claim somebody clean and unclean, whether we're talking about diseases or bodily functions or whatnot. And now we're moving into this day of atonement. And it's the most important day of the year for the Jewish people because it represents a cleansing of the nation, of their sins, 
on a yearly basis. And it's from it that we see the foreshadowing of that final sacrifice that was going to end this yearly sacrifice forever in that of Jesus Christ. So let's jump in to Leviticus chapter 16 together. We're going to read a good portion of it and then uh, read the last verse as well. So Leviticus 16, we're going to read 1 through 22 and then jump down to the end. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. Because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with the linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull of his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. One lot is for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of the burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He's to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. And then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. And in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. And when Aaron has finished making atonement for the holy, most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. And he shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness And rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins into a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. 
And we skip down to the end of the chapter and it says, and this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. And so this chapter begins with a somber reminder. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about two of Aaron's sons right after they were consecrated as priests. And in, in being consecrated as priests, they immediately offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, and the Lord put them to death. You guys remember that, right? So this begins with a somber warning to Aaron as he starts with this. And he says, he says that um, this happened right after his kids had died. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover, or else he will die. You think Aaron probably believed him at this point? You think that he was taking very seriously now this job that was set before him by God, this ministry of making atonement for the people by offering sacrifice. This was a very important time that God did not want People misconstrued over the meaning of all of the things that were going to take place. And so what Aaron had to do was he brought sacrifices. He brought sacrifices first for himself and for his household. Because he can't walk into the most holy place as a sinful person who's going to make atonement for the rest of the community. He first has to have his sin atoned for because he can't stand in front of a holy God without that sin being atoned for. So the first thing he does is not offer on behalf of the people of Israel. He offers for himself and for his household. And then after he does that. He brings the incense in there. He has the smoke that covers that place before he walks into the most holy place to offer sacrifice for the people of Israel. And placed in the most holy place to bring cleansing to the people of Israel for all of their sins and all of their rebellions. You remember those words. But the second one was actually a live goat that was released into the wilderness in which he comes out of the most holy place after a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And he confesses before the people on top of this goat and proclaims on it and hands to him, the scapegoat, if you will, all of the sins and rebellions of the people of Israel. So, so we have two confessions, right? We have one that takes place in the most holy place and this this atonement, this sacrifice is done to cleanse the people of the sin. And then the second one is done in front of everybody where we announce all the rebellions and all the sins and then we send this goat out. And it's this celebration to say we are Holy, we are cleansed. Another year has gone by and now all of these things are forgiven by God. That's why it was such a celebration. It's, it's like getting a new slate every single year. We're going to wipe the slate clean and everything's going to be new every year. We have this representation of a reality that's really going to happen in the future. We get to Leviticus 17 God talks about not eating about blood and the animals. And he explains why very importantly in verses 10 through 12 as he says this. Any Israelite or alien living among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. 
For the life of a creature is in in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may the alien among you eat blood. So the people of Israel were told not to eat blood because it's the blood in which has the life of the creature. Not just that, it's the blood that makes atonement for you. So when Aaron goes into the most holy place with this sacrifice, it's the blood that makes atonement. When he puts the blood on the altar, it's the blood that makes atonement. Because the life of the creature is in the blood. I don't know about you, but if you're not seeing Jesus in the midst of all of these things, you're really missing out, right? Because these sacrifices would be given on a yearly basis, on a yearly basis, on a yearly basis, on a yearly basis as a reminder that someday, one day, God is going to take care of this forever. And that's what the sacrifice of Jesus is for. And so we see a turn that happens This whole idea of this ancient epistle that's going forth. We have the sacrifice that's going to take place once a year. Same time every year. The only day that we're seeing Aaron enter into the Holy of Holies. The the most high God that he meets right there. For the remission of sins for the people. First for himself and then for the people. And it's a celebration. Everybody comes, and this is a huge celebration that they're going to do every single year. But it's interesting because then we see a switch that happens. The next three chapters start talking about, in a way that's different, start talking about how the people of Israel are supposed to act and how they're not supposed to act. We see these these commands of God that says because you're my people because I have given atonement for you because this is a yearly sacrifice that reminds you that I take your sins away this is how you're supposed to live so Leviticus 18 starts this way as a matter of fact all three of the next chapters have something like this in the midst of it so Leviticus 18 the first five verses says the Lord said to Moses Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And then we go to the beginning of Leviticus chapter 19, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And holy just means set apart. And at the very end of this section of scripture, in verse 26 of chapter 20, It says this, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be my own. These admonitions that God gives that says you're supposed to be a set apart people then come with instructions because chapters 18 through 20 are all filled with various types of instructions. 18 and 20 are very much focused on the sexual morality of the people. With that caveat that all the people in Egypt 
from where you came. And the people in Canaan, they practice these detestable things that you're seeing right there. This is not to be about you. You're not to act out sexually in this way like all the other nations around you. And if you do, there will be punishment. That's where uh, Exodus, uh, Exodus, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 20 comes in and says, if this happens, if you start doing the things in chapter 18, then the things in chapter 20 will happen to you. Some of them lead to death, that you're going to be killed for such things because they're abominations. Some of them will lead to exile from your people. In other words, you're not going to be known as an Israelite anymore. You're going to be cut off from your people. Yes, you might be an Israelite by heritage, but you're no longer an Israelite by faith because you're no longer following the God you say you serve. That's how egregious these things are. But in chapter 19... We have a a number of various laws, some of them that God says, I want you to do, and some of them God's saying, I don't want you to do. I mean, think about it. As a Christian, how would it be if if somebody came up to ask you and say, oh, you're a Christian, what does that mean? Well, it means I follow Christ. What does that look like? Well, all of a sudden, we'd start thinking about a list of things that we do and a list of things that we don't do because we're conscious of Christ, right? I read my Bible. Okay. I pray. I don't do these things that God doesn't want me to do, right? That's exactly what you're getting in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 becomes these various laws, not just the sexual practices, but let's take a look at some of these things. I'm just going to read some various verses from here. They won't be displayed up there because I don't know exactly which verses. I'm doing this kind of on the fly. Um, says, each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Skipping down to verse 11. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord of of your God. I am the Lord. Um, Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your brother frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what we see here is a number of decrees that says, because I have forgiven your sin, these are the things that you're going to do because you're conscious of me. Did you notice that each of those phrases at the end of Exodus 19, uh, Leviticus 19, I keep wanting to say it's Exodus. It is not. We're in Leviticus. We are in Leviticus. Okay? But each of those phrases at the end of Leviticus 19 was, I am the Lord your God. Here's a decree, I am the Lord. The whole reason you're obeying it is because he is God. The whole reason that we obey Christ in our lives is because he is Lord of our lives, right? This is why this is a modern or an ancient epistle, right? It it passes as an epistle because it first talks about what God does for us and then says because he has done that for us, this is how we ought to live because we're living conscious of God. This carries its weight all the way into the epistles. Let's take a look at some New Testament epistles that we're walking into. and You're going to see this exact same pattern because of what Jesus has done for us using the same language of Leviticus. The sacrificial language that was meant for these sacrifices is applied to Jesus Christ as a once for all sacrifice for you and me. Let's take a look first in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. In 
And starting in verse 13. So this is very, you know, this is very beginning of his epistle. He's establishing what he's going to write throughout the rest of his epistle. And he says, therefore, after talking about Christ, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Quoting Leviticus 19, just what we did. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, You believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Did you hear all that language? Did you hear the same admonition in the New Testament that we heard in the Old Testament? Don't be like the the Egyptians that you left. Don't be like the Canaanites that you're going into. You are supposed to be set apart for me. Don't you hear the same way? Don't go back to the way of your forefathers, that empty way of life before you knew Christ because you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's the exact same thing. Because of that sacrifice of Jesus, this is how we're going to live. This is how this epistle starts. This is the reason behind all of this. So when he goes on and talks about wives and husbands, and when he talks about slaves and how they're supposed to act, and when he talks about how we're supposed to act when we're persecuted, all of it comes from this foundation. Because Jesus died for us, this is how we live. It's exactly the same thing that we see in Leviticus. Because of this day of atonement and we are made right with God because of this sacrifice that points to Jesus, this is how we live. We see the same thing in Ephesians. We turn to the book of Ephesians. Paul does the same thing there. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one whom he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. 
Do you notice? We have redemption in his blood. This is all talking about that same idea that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the reason why we do such things. So when we go just a few chapters later in Ephesians chapter 5, we see again the foundation for the reason that we act the way that we do is because of what God has already done in the redemption that he's given in his son. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we see, again, that reference back to what? His sacrifice. This is what God has done for you. So what does that result in? We go to verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Do you guys see that because of what Christ has done for us? Notice the list. The list is kind of disjointed, isn't it? It's the same thing that we got in Leviticus 19. Here are the ways that you're supposed to live for Jesus. There's not supposed to be any sexual sexual immorality among you. So he covers chapters 18 and 20 with that one verse, right? Because all of that is sexual immorality. We're still under that guidance of God's word, not being like the world around us. And then it goes on from there and talks about specific things that we're supposed to do, right? Not coarse joking, not foolish talk. We need to have thanksgiving. We need to make sure we're not immoral, impure, or a greeting person. Notice this is covering every area of life. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. Because of his sacrifice. This is why Leviticus holds off on talking about the actions of the people until the Day of Atonement is taken place. Here's the instruction for the Day of Atonement. Here's the understanding that that the forgiveness is in the shedding of blood. And how this changes the way that you act toward God is we no longer act in the way that everybody else around us act. Because he is the Lord. That should be your and my desire to serve God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. To find out what pleases the Lord and do those things. And we see the same pattern in these five chapters. Because of God, this is how we act. Because of God, this is how we act. And the epistles, more times than not, follow those same guidelines. Because of what Christ has done, this is how we act. Because of what Christ has done, this is how we act. Let's take another look at Colossians chapter 1. It 
I love Colossians 1. I think of all the things that the grandeur of Jesus really just comes out from these pages because Paul, in writing, wants them to know the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, talking about Jesus, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, Established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Do you guys see these themes that recur, whether we're looking in Leviticus or we're looking in the New Testament? We see that God has provided a sacrifice, and the sacrifice is to make holy that which was unholy, that was unclean, unrighteous, to bring people close to God. For the people of Israel, it was done once a year, every year, as the looking forward to when God is going to take that atonement permanently, which he does through Jesus Christ. And what I love about seeing this consistency through the scripture is that the admonition afterwards, after these sacrifices have taken place, when we look at the yearly sacrifice for the people of Israel, or we look at the once for all sacrifice that Jesus represents to us, the call is the same. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We're called to be a set apart people. Living for him. And our actions show whose we are. And the beauty of the sacrifice of the Old Testament was that it wiped the slate clean on a yearly basis and reminded the people we are free again to live for God. And the bigger beauty for us as believers in Christ because Jesus has come to be that Passover lamb for you and me is that because of his sacrifice, we can be made holy before the Lord. And no other sacrifice for sin is needed. Not a yearly basis type of thing. That when you and I find ourselves falling short of what God has called us to, it's not coming back to an altar to slaughter another animal to hope that we can make penance, but rather realize Jesus has done it once and for all for us. And all it means is that you and I, at that moment, at that time, recognizing what he has done for us, all we have to do is to turn and say, Lord, I repent. I turn away from that so I can live for you and I can be holy right then, right there, set apart for his purposes for your life and for my life. How cool is that? 
a new life waiting for you like that because of what Jesus has done. And he calls you and I to live a holy life. Set apart, different from the world around us. Not like the world. Whether we're talking the Egyptians and the Canaanites of the people of ancient Israel. Or we're talking modern day America. We are supposed to stand out to the world around us. We are supposed to be a peculiar people. We are supposed to look different, act different, talk different, dress different. Everything about us should scream that we belong to Jesus. So that the world can see that we're holy, set apart for him. We're not holy by ourselves. Not a single one of us can be holy on our own. We're dependent upon his sacrifice. We're dependent upon his grace, his mercy, his blood to wash us clean. But he bids us the same call. Be holy. Because I am holy. And then we have all these things that we're supposed to do to identify us as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. If you know Jesus, one thing you can be sure of is that you have been made holy in the sight of God. The blood of Christ washes away all of those sins. My question is this, are you acting holy? Because that's a different question. And we're commanded both. We are made holy through what Jesus has done for us. But we're commanded to be holy by the God who's talked to us and set apart his son for us that we might live set apart lives for him. Are you living a set-apart life? If people are looking around you right now, can they identify Christ in you? Are you showing that that sacrifice means so much to you that it affects the way you live on a daily basis? The things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you work, the way that you live your life. Do people see Jesus in you? Are you set apart as holy because God says you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be like the world around you. You got a different mission. You and I are called to make disciples. We can only do that when we're teaching others to obey the things that Jesus has said, which means we have to be living that life ourselves. We have to be set apart as holy, doing those things so that we see the transformation that Jesus wants to do in others because they first see that transformation in you and me. Are you acting the part of holy? Because you're called to. And here's the beautiful thing. If you aren't, there's forgiveness at the cross of Christ that never ends. You can turn around today. Repent, walk away from that, and start living a set-apart life today. That's the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that is shed for you and me that we can be seen as holy but then we can go ahead and begin to be holy immediately I love Isaiah's calling in Isaiah chapter 6 in Isaiah chapter 6 
I want to read these first eight verses. I, I want you to know this can be you. Isaiah, a prophet of God, he sees the glory of God in all of heaven. And it's so funny because when he sees it, his reaction is probably like yours and mine. But I love what God does through this. Verse 5, this is his reaction in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I live, uh, uh, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That, that's sometimes you and me. You come into this place, and we hear how we're not measuring up in that holiness that God wants for you and me. This was Isaiah when he is confronted with the image of God. In heaven, he's like, woe is me. I am ruined. Oh my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I have been corrupted by the culture around me. I have bought into those things. And yet, by the grace of God, I have seen the Lord. He's pronouncing on himself a death sentence. He realizes how bad off things are. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I love that passage of scripture. You know why? Because it represents the holiness of God, his grace and his mercy toward those who would turn toward him. And you'll notice what Isaiah wasn't told by God. I'm sorry, you've only been clean like three seconds now. You're going to have to wait a while before you can do my bidding. You're going to have to wait a while from this whole repentance thing before you're good enough to do what I've asked you to do. See, this is what I love about God. That holiness of God is imbued over here to Isaiah, who now wants to live a holy life. He says, who will go for us? I will go. My lips are now yours to be proclaiming the goodness of God to the world around me. And you know what? God said, that's awesome. You go. Didn't mean it was going to be easy, but he was ready right then for worship. And God said, you know what? I've made you clean. I've made you holy so that you can walk with me today. Not tomorrow. Not when you're older. Kids hear that all the time. You'll know when you're older. You can do it now. Because some of you hearing this today, knowing you're not living a holy, set-apart life, are thinking, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll be good enough. You'll never be good enough. That's why Jesus died. That's why they did this every single year as a reminder that they would never be good enough. That the atonement for the sins of the people of Israel was pointing to something greater. That Jesus was going to die for you and me. That we would never be good enough. And even though we're not good enough, he chooses to make us holy and asks us to walk in holiness. You can repent and walk in holiness today. That should be an encouragement to you. No matter where you're at, his grace is sufficient for you. Would you stand with me?
the more I read Leviticus, the more it reads like the New Testament. The more I see the grace of God given to a people. The shedding of blood to make people holy and then calling them to that holiness. And it's the same for us as believers in Christ. God is calling you and me to that holiness. You can have that today. You really can. And if you've never known that holiness before, if you've been waiting for yourself to be good enough to be accepted by God, that's why Jesus died. You'll never be good enough. You need to come and accept his grace and then walk in holiness and he will transform your life in ways you can never imagine. I'm going to ask the elders to come on front. If any of you have any needs for prayer, if you want to be made holy this day, not because of anything we're doing, we're nobody special. We have to have the same holiness made from us. You know how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. If your eyes have been off of Jesus and you need to repent, we ask you, come today. Pray. Come be made new. Come walk out of this place determined to live a holy life and recognize that it's through his blood that you are made holy, not through your effort. If that's you, you come. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. Thank you that you have projected in this place, dear Heavenly Father. We read in Leviticus this sacrifice was giving a picture of what your son was going to complete once and for all. This yearly thing that they looked forward to of getting rid and having this this slate white clean was going to be white clean forever through the blood of your son for those who believe. And God, I pray if any today do not believe in your son or have not come to that place that they might believe and realize they can be made clean. God, if any have not been walking in holiness, Lord, set apart for you, no matter who it is, even if it's us here as, as elders up front, God, that we would confess our sin before you, that we would repent, that we would turn away, and that we would determine this day to obey you and to live set apart and holy lives for your glory, that others will see Jesus in us, that we will be that peculiar people of God that draw all men to yourself, Lord. God, we lift that up to you this day in his name, the only name that makes us holy, the name of Jesus. Amen.